In our Meet the CEO series, we bring you Peace and Dolly, Rwanda's 2022 Innovator of the Year. She talks about health equity and so much more on this episode. Meet Peace and Dolly, co-founder of Lifestand Health. From over a thousand cities and 128 countries, Care Africa brings you the Good Morning Africa podcast. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am with the Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial and you can find me at the Dong. Meet the CEO is brought to you by Digital Africa, helping African solutions emerge. Who is Peace and Dolly? And talk to us about Lifestand Health and your inspiration for setting it up. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and to get to talk about uh, myself and share my experience. First, I consider myself as a healthcare professional before anything else, who is leveraging on uh, entrepreneurship skills to bring health tech-based solutions in the community. And I believe that's how Lifestand Health was born in general. And at Lifestand, we were at people for being healthy as a way to address the rising burden of non-communicable diseases. And you may be one, wondering why why we decided to set up Lifestand. So working as a nutritionist in different health facilities in Rwanda, I realized that as the healthcare system, all the innovation responsibilities are left to the tech world. And, but then we don't get to think about the ethical, the medical ethical considerations, patient safety, and these are things that um, healthcare providers tend to see in their everyday uh, careers. And I believe that as we innovate, we need to constantly find a balance between this technology advancement and m- medical ethics and also uh, patient safety through everything that we do. And we can put all these responsibilities to these uh, developers who most of the times are not even aware of uh, these ethics and the, the lived experiences of the people we're trying to serve. And this is why I believe that it's high time healthcare providers come out from the traditional medicine and use all the technic- uh, technological advancements we have, internet penetration, smartphones, so as to provide a more or create a more efficient healthcare system. And basically this is why I started Lifestand, so as to reach to as many people as we can while also being innovative. And I break this allows us to break the silos that are very famous in the healthcare system. It bridges that gap and allows us to work with very different sectors to create that to create something that actually works and that's needed in our community. What did winning the 2022 Hunger Pitch Fest mean and how has it transformed your entrepreneurial journey? I'll say first and foremost, winning Hunger Pitch Fest 2022 gave us a really big push in terms of validation for the work that we do and also exposure. So there there are a lot of opportunities that uh, came as a result of uh, Hunger Pitch Fest. It brought a lot of visibility to the work we're doing and through the different mentorship and capacity building programs that comes as part of the reward, 
I believe I was able to grow also my personal skills uh, through uh, continuously learning while also being able to grow my network. But uh, I believe the best thing is the validation of the work we're trying to do, that this is something that's actually needed. And since Hunger Pitch Fest is designed by the RDB in partnership with the Ministry of ICT, so we're able to see that what we're trying to do works for this context, which is something we've been pushing for since we started. We want something that works for our people. It doesn't matter how good it is if it can't serve our own communities. So that validation from our own country, our own people was a really big push uh, in terms of uh, the work we're doing. When we talk about health equity, what exactly does that mean? And why is this an issue close to your heart? I'm really glad you asked this question. As you mentioned, this is a topic that's really, really close to my heart. And using just a simple definition, health equity is when everyone, emphasis on everyone, is able to attain the highest quality of health. The highest and by just relying on the definition, I think we can all agree that this is not the case, even based on our own experiences. And allow me to uh, to quote the, the late uh, Dr. Paul Farmer. He once said that if access to healthcare is considered a human right, then who is considered human enough to have that right? And this simply translates to... Uh, that the social economic forces are the ones that drive the your health outcomes more than the fact that just healthcare is considered as a human right. And by looking at the inequalities in our healthcare systems, the policies that we have that are unjust. I believe everyone can see this big gap where your access to healthcare affordability depends on your social status, where you're from, ethnicity, where you live, what you do, and many, many other factors. And is this still a human right? Because if some people have that right and that other people don't, then as the court says, how do we, who is human enough and who is not? So I believe that um, all, uh, most healthcare providers are working to, again, to tackle these inequalities in the systems, in the policies, in the way we provide care, uh, so that we, we reduce the patients who suffer from these outcomes each and every day. What challenges have you faced? Uh, we have, I'll say we have very few health tech-based solutions in Rwanda and many other African countries. And I believe it has something to do with the challenges in this specific sector. The first one being a barrier to entry. There are a lot of regulations, a lot of approvals you need, and I'll give my personal experience. Um, we're, impl- we're implementing this project and we thought we needed two approvals. And as we were trying to secure them, 
they kept piling up. We came to a point where we needed eight in total for us to start with any part of the implementation. And anyone who has worked with the government knows how long these things take. You reach out two weeks later, they're like, you haven't gotten your email. So we're able to get a lot of help from different institutions as to push this. And we finally got the approvals eight months later. And before that, our hands were literally tight. We weren't allowed to do a big part of the implementation before we secured the approval. And this is just a, a simple example of why people are scared or people are skeptical of uh, venturing into health tech. You think about all these challenges, all the things you need to go through, the approvals you need to secure, and it's honestly discouraging. And I believe there is a lot that can be done for entrepreneurs to have uh, support if they bring ideas and solutions, uh, to have support to penetrate the system in the easiest way possible. Uh, while also having uh, some type of guidance. You need to know, it's better when you know what you're getting into before you do. And one, the second thing I'll talk about is the, the lack of uh, innovation, especially this is on the uh, healthcare sector. I'm not saying that med students should also have encoding classes, but I think it's very important to introduce these skills early on in their careers because honestly, if we're to achieve the SDGs, we need to be innovative and creative in the way we provide healthcare. And these medical professions, professionals are the first ones to take the lead. So that's why they really need these skills early on so that the way they see the healthcare, the way they think of the solutions is different from the traditional medicines we, we're usually used to. And uh, yeah, I believe also creating uh, a support system that's very specific. This is literally needed for every sector, but having having mentors, having pioneers in a particular sector, people you look up to, it's motivating, but also it validates that uh, the problem you're trying to address. And this is this is that type of motivation that every entrepreneur needs. That what you're doing, someone else has been there, and it's something that you would be able to achieve. Is there an African expansion plan for Lifestyle Health? Yes, we do have the, an expansion plan because, yes, we started in Rwanda, Kigali, but we want to create something that by adjusting to the context, it can be able to work in other African countries because these uh, problems are everywhere. Most countries are struggling with these non-communicable diseases, with um, mortality rates that's higher than 60%. And we believe that when this works here, we'll be able to scale it in other African countries. And we are currently having conversation with the NCD Alliance in Kenya as a way to scale the solution and also 
as we start looking into other markets. What's your vision for yourself in five years? The overall vision is to reach as many people as we can with awareness and other diagnostics for non-communicable diseases in Africa. And how we're planning to do this, uh, at the moment we've, we started with cardiovascular diseases and we're moving into addressing diabetes. And in non-communicable diseases, we have the big five. So cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, chronic lung illnesses, cancers. And to paint the picture, we have more than 200 types of cancers, just cancer. And by addressing only two of the leading non-communicable diseases, it leaves out a really, really huge number. And it's like a drop in the ocean if you look at the problem uh, globally. So we want to be able to tackle as many NCDs as we can, create content, awareness. And uh, one thing I'm very passionate about and that I want to see in the coming years is looking at NCDs that target women, for example, cervical cancer, breast cancer, where uh, about uh, 90% of the new cases in 2020 were in low and middle-income countries. So Sub-Saharan Africa is definitely somewhere there. So I believe uh, in terms of research, if you look at research, these are mostly NCDs that are left behind. And I'd like to see more awareness uh, on these NCDs that affect women and also as a way to bridge the health equity gap, especially that's gender-based. And why should solutions be more people-centered in health tech? Coming to a conclusion, I believe it's very crucial to understand the type of innovation, innovation that's needed in the healthcare sector and to be very selective uh, in what type of solutions that we bring. And what I mean by this is that there are a lot of solutions that come with unintended consequences. We might be looking at the good and leaving out a very big part of how this is going to affect people's lives in the long run. So we need to be intentional when dealing with people's lives and look at all the other factors that comes as part of the solution. So as we create these unicorns, let's be very intentional and put people's lives at the center of the solutions we create. Yes, this needs to work, but does it serve, does it do more good than harm um, to the people we're trying to serve? That was Peace Ndoli, co-founder of Life Sin Health. And a quick look at the markets. The market segment is powered by the Development Bank of Rwanda. We empower you. WTI crude futures rebounded past $84 per barrel on Thursday after falling by over 2% in the previous session as Saudi Arabia and Russia showed they were working together to support the oil market while investors keep a close watch on unfolding events in Israel and Gaza. Saudi Arabia's energy minister and Russia's deputy prime minister talked on Russian TV and said they were committed to keeping the oil 
market stable by taking action in advance. Meanwhile, the latest EIA report showed that U.S. crude inventories rose by 10.1 million barrels last week, much more than the market forecast of a 492,000 increase and in line with the industry data reported on Wednesday. And a quick trip around Africa. African countries whose eurobond repayments of close to $6 billion are due next year, including Kenya, will struggle to roll over payments due to high interest rates. The International Monetary Fund, in its latest economic outlook, for the region fears that yields on eurobonds have more than doubled to hit past 12%. The IMF cautioned that the current high-rate regime won't go away anytime soon and poses a fiscal challenge to countries expected to repay in the near future. The continent has 23 eurobonds so far, amounting to $16.9 billion. During the ongoing high-profile meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank in Morocco, action aid country directors from Africa are coming together to urge these institutions to alleviate the burden of debt distress and the imposition of austerity measures on the continent. Austerity measures aimed at curbing government spending and reducing budget deficits involve tax hikes and cuts to government programs, potentially resulting in reduced access to social services and diminished individual disposable income. In their press statement, the country directors emphasized that the Brenton Woods institutions have historically supported a neoliberal model deeply rooted in colonial, patriarchal and exploitative systems across Africa. The directors also highlighted critical concerns such as the negotiation process for loans and the inequitable voting structures within Brunton Woods institutions. They argued that these structures failed to acknowledge the voice, dignity and significance of the African continent. The statement from Country directors coincide with the release of a comprehensive report conducted by Action Aid International titled 50 Years of Failure, the IMF Debt and Austerity in Africa. The report meticulously outlines how IMF has been instrumental in imposing austerity policies that have had a detrimental impact on health, education and broader development across the continent. Furthermore, the report presents compelling evidence that instead of pursuing systematic solutions that address the mounting debt crisis in Africa and considering alternative measures such as progressive tax reforms, the IMF consistently enforces reductions in public spending. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit the website, that is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at Githadong.